Welcome to Unraveled Podcast. I'm Bridget. And I'm Mackenzie. This is the place where we unravel all the things on our hearts. Laughter, tears, and real talk are all invited. Here we go. Hey guys. Hi. Hi. Welcome, Mary. We're so excited for our special guest, our second guest in our conversion series. This is Mary Barrett, and she is from the Finger Lakes region of New York State. She and her husband moved from coast to coast with the Marine Corps for a few years, but then settled back home close to family to start their own farm and raise a pack of wild animals, also known as kids. Mary stays at home with the kids, homeschools the older ones, and runs day-to-day operations on the farm while her husband kicks butt with a day job. Welcome, Mary. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Mary. We're so excited. Um, So Mary basically shared uh, the SparkNote version of her conversion series on <laughs> Ken's and I's. I won't even say SparkNote because I feel like we stayed up all night, um, which is very typical for our retreat. Um, when we have these retreats, they're very much like adult sleepover style. We have a lot of jam-packed goodness during the day. And then usually what happens is ladies find their own little squad to chat with. And one night we found ourselves um, in the in the beach house chatting with Mary about everything and it and this beautiful conversion story came out. So Mary, could you kind of share a little bit about, you know, how your husband, you know, was praying for you and your faith and how you ultimately uh, were inspired by seeing this uh, group of monks? I'll let you tell it though. Yeah. Okay. So I was thinking about this and I kind of want to like start from my basis of growing up and stuff, if that's okay. Absolutely. Um, So I was raised, I was baptized in the Methodist church when I was a baby and kind of like went to church, not every single Sunday, but I certainly have like memories of going to church growing up. Um, But it wasn't necessarily like a faith that I embraced on my own. It was, you know, I was going because my parents were bringing me. Um, But I had this feeling when I was in college, I really, I went through that period where I really didn't know what I believed. Um, I definitely felt like I was searching And, um, I, but I was like, I'm too busy to think about this right now. So I'm going to figure it out later. And, um, my, actually my roommate, the last, my last year and a half of college, she was, I lived off campus. And so my roommate, she already had graduated from college and had like a full-time job and everything. So she would go to, she was, um, I don't remember what she was raised, but she went to like a non-denominational Christian church and, um, she went every Sunday and she invited me once or twice. And I always, I worked two jobs while I was in college. So I was always like, Oh, I'm too busy. I can't right now, but you know, thank you. But I remember it just kind of stuck with me that she was very faithful and going to church. And it definitely made me feel that, um, like guilt that I should be going to church. And, um, so I, it really kind of pushed up in my priority list that I needed to be doing that, um, when I got done with college. So also, um, midway through college, I met my husband, um, and he grew up Catholic and he also, um, he was part of the Newman center in college. So he had a great priest. He had, um, some guys around him that were very devout Catholics. And so, um, it really like came in and he, he was, um, confirmed in college. So it really gave him an opportunity in college to start embracing his faith in a a more mature way and on his own. Um, so I knew that was something that was important to him. Um, 
I will add that like he and I were definitely not mature enough in our faith where we were like following church teaching in, um, in all regards. And I, I definitely did not have, there were some things like, I can't think of a good example right now, but there were some things he would kind of talk, even just going to church every Sunday that he would talk about how important that was to him. And I didn't, I didn't get that. I didn't understand. I was like, Oh yeah, yeah, that's, that's good. But I mean, you know, if you're spending Sunday with your family, like, isn't that, you know, just as good. And I didn't really understand necessarily always where he was coming from. Um, but so when I got done with college, um, he was deployed and he was active duty in the Marine Corps at that point in time. And so I was moving out to California. Um, that's where he was stationed. He was going to be coming home. We were getting engaged. We were getting married later that year. Um, and so I really wanted to find a church that I felt comfortable with. And um, I took him to a Methodist church one time and he was like, a fish out of water. It was really funny. I remember afterward he was, or in the beginning, actually, he was looking around before they started um, the service. He was looking around, just looked so awkward. And he was like, it's very chatty in here. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you know, people come in and say hi to each other. Not like in the Catholic church. Cause I'd been to mass with him at that point. It was like not in Catholic <laughs> church where you could like hear a pin drop, you know? Okay. Um, But so I also, you know, I didn't really love that church. And for a long time, I kind of played that game of like searching around for a church that fit me and that I liked. Um, When we were in California, I ended up finding a non-denominational church that I really liked. And Adam would, he would go with me and he would say, he was like, it's basically a really good Bible study. But then he would still go to mass. And I would get so frustrated about it because I was like, you already went to church with me. Like, what's the big deal? And I, we didn't like argue about it or anything, but this is just kind of what I was saying in my mind. Um, and he was like, I just, I still need to go to mass. And um, he never really like, like I said, we never argued about it. He never tried to be kind of like um, confrontational or anything like that. But he just, by example, kept make putting these like question marks in my mind. Um And so around this time, I was like embracing Christianity 100%. um, But again, still just like not understanding why people would, I kind of thought like there were different denominations so that people, it would kind of reach all different people from different personalities and different walks of life. And there was kind of something for everyone, you know. And I've heard other people say that. And I feel like it's kind of an innocent, um, it comes from like an innocent place. And I never saw a need for myself to become Catholic, but like he and I, we got married in the Catholic church. I agreed that we could raise our kids Catholic. I really liked, um, that the church would have these kind of stepping stones in your faith. Like, you know, you have your first Holy communion and then you have, um, you know, your, uh, confirmation as you get older and there are just different opportunities to like mature in your faith and kind of be guided through that. Where when I was a child, it was just like, Sunday school until you were over 12 and and there wasn't really like anything after that to help guide you um so anyway um during that time we were so we had we'd been in California for a couple of years we moved to Virginia um Diocese of Arlington Bridget I know you're there I worked (laughs) for a little while longer um and I really liked the church we went to in Fredericksburg. So I, at this point, I would go to mass with him 
Um, but then if he weren't home or something like there was a non-denominational church that I would go to, I never really like intentionally didn't go to church with him because I liked going together as a family. And at this point we had, we had our daughter when we moved to Virginia. And then like after a couple of years, we had our son. Um, and I liked going to church together. Um, but around this time, I, um, my brother is a very strong Christian, but he does not, he's not supportive of our Catholic faith. And he comes from like a different, um, I don't know what to call it, a different tradition. And so he was kind of trying to show, I think Adam specifically, um, where, like from the Bible where Catholicism was wrong or um, where we should understand certain verses of scripture in a different way from what the Catholic church was teaching. And so this kicked off like through many different um, conversations over to over years. And I remember one of the first ones we had, which was like, I mean, we literally sat down for like a couple of hours and I remember my daughter was taking a nap and I couldn't believe how long her nap was because I'm like, we're still sitting here talking. And I, I don't know. It was just, it was weird because it felt like we were um, in an intervention or something. And I, Adam was, Adam's like a very, um, he's got a lot of life in him. And so I was very afraid that this was going to turn into a, like a very heated argument because I knew how, how passionate he was about his faith. And it was kind of like my brother was attacking it. Um But as they were talking and my brother wasn't being like mean or anything like that, but very persistent. And, um, but as they were talking, I'm like, I'm just kind of sitting in the middle, listening to the two, uh, points of view. And there were so many things that Adam said. I remember thinking like, oh, I didn't know that's what the Catholic church taught, or I didn't under, I didn't know that's where that teaching came from, or, oh, I never understood that. And I, and it was really interesting because like what, what was kind of like intended to be an intervention to make us see the Catholic church's faults was actually making me see, have more clarity on what the church church's (laughs) teachings were and where they were coming from. And it was like, really, I don't know. it, It definitely put some question marks in my mind and, and more, um, openness to understand where before I just had like, I was not at all considering, but so my husband was getting out of the Marine Corps and he was looking for a job. Um, he was on indeed.com. So, you know, like millions, if not billions of jobs posted on there and we wanted to be closer to our families. So he was looking closer to his hometown. Um, and he came across this job for a company, called monks bread and it's a catholic monastery um they make bread as their source of income and the abbey of the genesee if anyone's interested and um they had a job posting for a bakery operations manager so my husband knew the monastery and and monks bread from growing up in that area um and he was looking at the job posting just out of curiosity because he wasn't expecting to see like a post for a monastery on indeed.com. And he had no bakery experience or anything like that. And he scroll scrolled to the very bottom of the job posting and it had an asterisk and it said military officers encouraged to apply. <laughs> and he was like, Oh, that's me. And I remember, I still remember him bringing like the iPad in for me to look at it when and when, um, when he saw it and I remember just thinking like, you have to apply for this. This is 
like that's you and um then when he you know he applied he had follow-up interviews and it was just like it felt like god was pulling us there you know Mm. and um so he he gets the job there and um we went i think it we went up to visit and the abbot adam had already met the abbot and a couple of the other monks through the interview process um, but the abbot, he said, you know, I would love to meet your wife. And if your kids are around, um, he's, you know, he just wanted to, he really wanted to know our whole family. So um, in that meeting with the abbot, he asked if I could work in their infirmary, taking care of some of the elderly monks who had um, more medical needs. And um, similar to like needs they might have to go to a nursing home for, but they wanted to keep them at the monastery. So um, I was I started working in the infirmary two days a week um, and got to know some of these elderly monks who were absolutely amazing. And um, it really hit me. So at this point, I had been through like the conversations with my brother and kind of through my own faith searching, I had started regular um, reading of the scriptures. And so I kept thinking about... um, when the rich young man comes to Jesus and he says, what do I need to do to, to inherit, you know, eternal life? And he says, um, you know, follow these commandments and, um, honor your parents and, and all these things. And the the rich young man says, you know, I've done all of those things. And Jesus says, uh, sell everything you own and follow me. And the rich man walks away like dejected because that was so hard for him to even conceive of. And I kept thinking about the monks and they literally did that because they would, so they're, um, they're Trappist monks. So they, they get rid of all of their personal belongings. They live, um, a life of, uh, you know, very rigid prayer times, um, very simple lifestyle. They're vegetarians. They have like their, uh, their prayer times, their first prayer in the morning is at three o'clock in the morning. So like they don't sleep a full night sleep, (laughs) you know, um, and they just have all of these um, sacrifices that they're constantly making that are part, just a part of their way of life. And I, I just, you know, somebody doesn't just go and do that for nothing. You know, somebody has to have very deep conviction to live a life like that. Right. So then I started thinking about like, the, I'm only other than other than like Buddhist monks, I only know of Catholic monks and, and nuns, you know, I only know of Catholics who don't have intentionally don't get married or have children, even though they may want them because they feel that God is calling them to a life of celibacy. And some of these monks were brilliant, would have had, there's one in particular, he would have had a phenomenal career as a doctor. Um, But while he was in his residency at Georgetown University Hospital, he discerned that God was calling him to be a priest and a monk. Mm-hmm. And, and so he gave up, you know, a career and, and many of them were very, very talented individuals. And they, they gave up those other desires because they could feel God calling them. Mm-hmm. So like, it just really had my heart stirring. Like there's something to this, you know? So, um, I, I'm very stubborn. I couldn't, I felt like I didn't want to talk to my husband about it because I <laughs> was like, I don't want him to, to push me or I don't want him to feel like, um, he's, he's the one steering me or anything like that. And he never, he never was pushy. Like he would pray for me. Um, but he never pushed me to become Catholic. And so, Mm. but I didn't want to, for whatever reason, like, I just didn't want to go directly to him, but I went to a very close friend of ours who is actually, um, he's Eastern Orthodox 
and he converted from like a uh, church that was kind of similar to what my I think my brother's faith understanding is. And so I was like, how did you go through that process? And, you know, I'm having some of these questions, like, I don't know, what do you think? And he's somebody, you know, he's just a very close friend of my husband and I and somebody I trust very much. And so he recommended that I read the catechism (laughs) and that if there was anything I disagreed with in the catechism or that I didn't understand that that would be a good point of like researching why that teaching is what it is. Um, But he was like, you can't really, you can't accept the church or deny the church until you actually know what the church teaching is. Amen. Yeah. So that was really awesome. And I, and so then I'm like at working at the monastery and I had downtime there and they would always encourage us to like bring a book or something. So I'm like in the office reading the catechism while I'm working at the monastery. So I was going to add, I've heard before from like apologists, they say, if you don't want to become Catholic, don't study the church fathers. And I would also add that if you don't want to become Catholic, don't work at a Catholic monastery. Because, you know, these they're humans like these men, you know, these men had very different quirks and you knew that they were flawed. But to just understand some of them when they would come in and talk about like Our Lady or if they would talk about a saint on a special feast day or like Adam went to a, an Easter, um, Easter vigil with them one night that was, it went until midnight. And after midnight, he was like, I don't know if I've ever been to a celebration. Like I just went to, because they were so incredibly joyful. Like they were celebrating the resurrection of our Lord as if they were really there. You know what I mean? And it was just like these experiences that you, you can't find in other places and to the same degree. Um, So anyway, as I'm doing like my own kind of faith study, one of the first things that really like pulled me to the church was my like the first kind of thing was Peter and how um, obviously like his preeminence in the Gospels. But then when Jesus gives him the the keys to the kingdom and the authority that that Christ gives him. And then like going back to the Old Testament and seeing where that ties in with like the old stewards of Jerusalem and how they were given the power of, of the king, but they were not the king, but it was just, you know, you could see all of these parallels with Christ and Peter. Mm. And so um, I really started to accept and understand that like, that was the beginning of the Catholic church. Right. And that Peter is the first leader of the church. And um, so then once I kind of had really wrapped my head around that at this point, I'm like going back through the gospels again. So I was studying like the Eucharist and, um, I still hadn't totally accepted that. And I was going through the gospels comparing and I went, so I started at Matthew and I read like the, um, the part from the last supper from Matthew. And then I read it from Mark and then I read it from Luke. And then it's funny, but I went to John and I'm looking for the last supper and I, and you know, in the other three gospels, it's like verbatim, almost exactly the same. And I get to John and it's not there. And I was just like, what the heck? I thought I was onto something and it's not there. And so then I went back to the beginning of John and started just reading John from the beginning and read John six. And it's funny because like I had read the Bible front to back before, but I certainly wasn't absorbing everything. And it's just really wild. 
I kept thinking like, how did I not even blink an eye at reading John chapter six? I don't, I don't even know. But when I read it, I mean, I was like shaking, you know, like tears rolling from my eyes. I was just like, wow, like this is actually real, you know? And like the Eucharist is like the body of Christ. Mm. It was just so crazy. So then at that point it was like, okay, well, I can't, (laughs) there's no going back. Right. Um, And I was actually thinking about recently, as I was thinking about this podcast, I was thinking about the book we're reading for um, the Lenten, the Lenten book, um, Heinz Feet in High Places, because I was thinking about like, when the shepherd is calling much afraid, and there are numerous times that she is tempted by um, different for different reasons to go back. And I had that feeling very strongly, like, even though I knew what what was ahead of me was going to be very challenging. Mm -hmm. Um, I knew I couldn't go back. Mm-hmm. And so um, after that, I then went to a friend of ours. So their their daughter had started babysitting semi-regularly for us because um, at that point I was pregnant with our third baby and I had doctor's appointments and stuff. So their daughter was this sweet 16-year-old. Obviously, like I would see them at church. Their daughter, who's 16, was very mature, very intelligent. Um, very well formed in her faith. And so um, I immediately wanted to know her mom and get to know how she was able to instill all of this in her daughter. And so um, started becoming like friends with their family. And one time I was talking to her mom, and it was just the two of us. And I said, um, you know, I'm starting to become more interested in becoming Catholic. And what if I were if I were to consider that, like, what would that process be like? And, you know, who runs the RCIA program? And how does that work? And she was like, actually, I run the RCIA program, and I would love to work with you. And it was just so great, because I already felt I felt a comfort toward Leslie. And um, I knew she's she's a mom, she's a wife. She, um, has always she's homeschooled their kids like she there's was so much that I could see on the outside of the life that she had cultivated for her family that I I wanted and I could see like the beauty of it um and so therefore to like then take that into the faith conversation as well I already had trust so much trust in her and we had a similar um just kind of like outlook on life and so I was I'm so grateful that she was that person, you know, cause I could be very honest with her, um, and truly like seek to understand the faith. Um, and so, okay. Then the other thing that I wanted to share was that through, I started RCIA in September, I was going to be coming into the church in, um, that, no, it would have been April, but anyway, um, so I had a few months and in that time I was still, I don't know. I kept kind of like in my heart, I was saying, I was praying every day, God, help me to do what you want me to do. If you don't want me to become Catholic, please give me an obvious sign so that I won't become Catholic. It was almost like I was trying to talk myself out of it. I just, I just so deeply wanted to do what he wanted me to do and not to get caught up in what I, what I was reading as his signs, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, throughout um, my RCIA process, I was, you know, growing in so much understanding of the church teaching, but I still was saying that prayer, like, if I'm not supposed to be doing this, God, please tell me, <laughs> tell me that. And so um, over, 
after like I went to, you know, Holy Thursday, um, Good Friday service, and then we're getting ready for the Easter vigil. And all day that Saturday morning, I was like, I think I was cleaning the house and stuff, but I kept playing different, you know, Christian music. And I have, I kept hearing the song in Christ alone. Um, and I just really love that song. And the young lady who I mentioned earlier that babysat for us, she would sing at church and she would sing that song fairly often. And I just loved that song. And so I was, you know, I kept hearing it throughout that day and I don't know, it's just like filling me with all these, the, all the feels, you know? So we went to Easter vigil and, um, I'm, I'm, you know, going through that process of, um, all the prayers and everything that they do at the vigil for the, um, the candidates. And then we go up and we receive our first Holy communion. And, um, as I'm walking away from the priest, our friend Katerina, who is sing, and then our other friend who played the piano, they started playing in Christ alone. And I just oh. lost it. I just was crying. And Adam, you know, he's just like holding me. It was, but it totally oh felt gosh. like that, that God was just like, I want you here. And, and it was like, he, almost as if he waited for me to fully accept the church to give me that huge sign of like, this is where I want you. He wanted my faith, you know, he wanted my participation and not giving me the sign beforehand, but like letting him see my faith first and then, and then giving me that affirmation. Um, So that that is beautiful. Mary. That's so beautiful. Yeah. Thank Thank you. you. Such a stunning story. Like if you, I was thinking of, you know, what we could ask you, but anyone who's listening to this, I mean, Mary talked about how God meets you where you are. He, she talked about how in the Bible and John, it yeah. so clearly states that the yeah. Israel, she talked about the beautiful orders and how some people give up their entire lives to follow Christ because the Catholic yeah. church goes for the best of the yeah. best. And it was just so stunning to hear. B, what did you think? Oh, well, there's two things that came to my mind as you were talking. First of all, I'm like wiping away tears. I know. <laughs> I like imagined that as you were oh. saying it. Um, yeah. And that's so beautiful that God really sends us those God winks. Yes. Two things I was thinking um, was um, when you said that it struck you watching religious life, watching people in religious mm-hmm. life, it made me think of this time that we were um, on a walk with some of our, our dear friends who are evangelicals. And they, oh, they're that one couple that always asks questions. And so we were always like, oh yeah, you know, they're still, they got some curiosity (laughs) curiosity there. Um, But the husband made like a snide comment about how much money the church has and how, Mm. oh, the salaries of priests must be so high. Mm. And um, we were like, oh no, they take a vow of poverty. Like even even a uh, parish priest makes like $30,000. Like they make, is it really, it's a stipend basically. Um, And so it's a really, it's a low stipend. And so they were under the impression that like the, um, 
the um, money that you take up in church goes mm-hmm. to the to the priests, mm-hmm. and okay. that's certainly what happens in you know the Christian church. Not that oh. well, not not that all of it goes sure. to the mm-hmm. pastor, right? But yeah. um, but with the church and with working for a diocese, you know, I got to know like that money does not go to them. That money goes to all of the programs that they yeah. do and all the evangelization. Mm-hmm. So that struck me um, as as it's I could tell he was like, oh, wow, like he did not know that priests and religious and sisters yeah. take that vow of poverty. And I could tell that that struck him. Um, and then the other thing you said uh, reminded me of something a priest said over the weekend at a retreat I was at. He, the whole retreat was about um, looking at the passion through scripture. And as Catholics, you know, we have so much like rich content in the church that mm-hmm. you know, sometimes scripture can get like thrown to the wayside just a little bit, which mm-hmm. is because we have all of these other huge things, but scripture obviously is so pivotal. And so we like dove, like deep dived into all of the books of the gospels. And we did what you said. We compared what did Matthew say about the Eucharist? What did John say? What did Luke say? Mm -hmm. And he actually pulled out a Greek translation of the Bible that has English right next to it. And Mm -hmm. he read the Greek translation of John chapter six. And it actually says The man, only the man who munches on my flesh and drinks my blood will have life in me. And this is the bread that's been brought down from heaven. And so he talked about like, how, yeah, how can we um, argue with the original text that said munch on my flesh? (laughs) I think the other thing that really struck me and that I've tried to convey to others when I've talked about that, um, that piece of scripture is why did everyone leave if Jesus was talking, speaking right. metaphorically, Amen. or if he was talking about something else? And Jesus Amen. doesn't clarify. He does not say, "Oh, that's not what I meant. I didn't actually mean munch on my flesh." You know, he he did mean that, and he was waiting to see who would believe him. Oh, and that was another thing I actually didn't mention about that about John six, but at the very end when, because, you know, it's still like, especially for me as a convert. And that was, I didn't even know that that was Catholic teaching about the Eucharist. I didn't know that it act like transubstantiation. It actually becomes the body and blood of our Lord. I did not know that until, um, maybe like a year or two before I converted. So like my husband and I, through our dating and through the beginning of our marriage, like it just, it just was not a like very detailed conversation we had ever had. And so I didn't know that. And I remember when he told me, I was like, wow, that is very weird. I don't even know where to go with this conversation. But so anyway, reading John six, when all the disciples leave and Jesus turns to the apostles and he says, what about you? Will you leave also? Mm -hmm. And Peter. So like, again, back to my boy, Peter, he was like, Lord, to whom should we go? And it was just like, what a hard teaching this is. But we can't go anywhere else because we believe you're the Lord. And you, you, it's true because you've said it, you know? Yes. Oh, yes. Amen. Oh, I guess we should ask you like any advice for, well, the sweet thing about what your story said was that your husband also, I would love to know his reaction when you told him you were going to go through our CIA. He was was very excited. And I know he said like, he always prayed for that. I really think he could see transitions in me in those couple of months. Oh, so I was going to like, then circle back to the whole our time at the monastery we were only there for two years and then 
had a big event in my family and we moved closer to my family to support them. And um, so we were, we were not at the monastery for very long. And I really believe that the reason we were called there was because God was calling me to the church because no. like, there's so many other pieces that were kind of like loose ends there. And it's hard to, under, you know, not that you can always understand every stage of your life, but it just seems very clear that like, God was calling me to the church and then he was like, okay, now I'm going to move you because to the, to the next stage. Um, oh. but so yeah, my husband was super supportive. I know he was talking. I think he was blessed to be in that setting during that time as well, because he would talk to, um, the abbot a fair bit. And I think that he got a lot of, um, guidance and like patience and oh, also oh. just in uh, kind of like, helping to guide me um from the monks which was really really cool yeah I think you were saying it before Ken's but um Mary do you have any advice for for anyone listening who has either um maybe walked away from the church temporarily and for whatever reason they are skeptical maybe it is maybe it's the scandals which is you know rightfully so and or maybe it's just these big church teachings that you've talked about that are hard to dive into and a lot of times people don't have the resources to really read the beautiful teachings on these things um what is some advice you would have to that person or maybe um a christian from a different denomination who's curious about the church but really has never um dove into her teachings Absolutely. So I read numerous different apologists. Um, I really enjoyed reading Trent Horn um, and Carlo Broussard. They kind of break down a couple of books that I got from them broke down almost like itemized um, issues that were common for people to misunderstand or disagree with within the church. And they would teach from a scriptural point of view, like where those teachings come from, which was just like really fascinating to me. Um, And then also I really love father Mike Schmitz and he has some awesome videos. He also has one video called like the one hour that will change your life. And it talks about, so especially like for a Catholic who is considering um, diving back into your faith or understanding um, the Eucharist, it, that spoiler alert, that's what he talks about, but, um, (laughs) it's amazing. And it, and it really is like, it, it forces you to think not just, you know, I'm not going to go to church because of the, the different scandals or, um, because, you know, after COVID I haven't gotten back into the routine of going to church, but it will really make you think about what is at church in the Eucharist that you are not being present for, or that you're not participating in. Um, so, I, and there, you know, Father Mike has great videos about um, many different topics. I also, I listened to EWTN quite a lot um, during that, like, RCAA process. And um, it used to come in crystal clear at our old house, and now it doesn't come in. Isn't that funny? Like, during my that process of me discerning, I listened to EWTN all the time because it came in crystal clear. <laughs> um so yeah, I would listen to like Catholic Answers and um, I'm trying to think of what other shows. I can't think off the top of my head, but. Those are all. <laughs> and Father, Father Mike Schmitz, I feel like breaks it down pretty plainly. Yeah. And yeah. so simple, but he's so awesome. Like, And it's approachable. I think his, I think he comes across as, as like so approachable. I don't know. 
exactly. I feel the same way. Those are so, that's such good advice, Mary. Thanks. We could try to link those in the show notes too. Yeah. And any, yeah. Yeah. Anybody who wants to, to dive into those awesome resources. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. And Mary, where can people find you on Instagram? Or- yeah. So um, we have a small farm and our Instagram page is um, St underscore Isidore's underscore farm. There is another St. Isidore's farm in North Carolina, which if you follow them too, that's awesome because they seem like really cool people as well. I follow their page, but we're in New York and our picture is a Scottish Highlander. We raise um, beef cows, but we also raise pigs and chickens and we just got some ducks. Um, And so I'm most active on our Instagram page. We do also have a website, St isidoresfarm.com and I also wanted to put a little shout out out there if that's okay um a friend of ours started a website called catholicagrarian.com and it's um trying to connect people on other catholics on farms or um even people who are just like interested in farming and I know this is another conversation I've had with both of you but I know there are a lot of people who are wondering like how they can be connected to a local farmer to fill their freezer or um, maybe they're interested in farming or just having some backyard chickens. But this website is trying to connect different people um, who are strong in their faith and want to just uh, share camaraderie. Oh, I love that. We have to thank that one, V. V and I will be on that tomorrow. (laughs) Catholic Farmers Unite. Thanks. I love it. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, Mary. And we know that your story and your testimony is going to bless so many people, especially leading up to um, the Easter vigil, which is the anniversary of you coming into the church. Yes. So how many years, just to end the episode, how many years will you be celebrating um, yeah. in the church? Three years. Oh, that's wow. awesome. I feel Woo! like a spring chicken. <laughs> oh, like, that's I've got so much time to learn so much. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Really so no more than most. Like that. Oh, just yeah. Like, Amen. Go on fire. It just ignites all of us to keep learning more because you can never stop learning. Yes. Like, absolutely. Amen. Absolutely. Amen. Yeah. Well, thanks, Mary. Thank thanks, you, ladies, Mary. so much. Thanks for listening to Unraveled Podcast. To stay a part of the conversation, follow us on Instagram at Unraveled Podcast or on Spotify at The Unraveled Podcast. Thanks for listening.